Well, in the messages in this series leading up to today, we have talked about how we who are in Christ by faith, how we have been saved. We have been justified. Jesus on the cross, he dealt with the penalty and the punishment of my sin, of your sin, of all of our sin. He dealt with it there on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And in this exchange where he took our sin upon himself, upon the cross, he transferred to us his righteousness. He took the righteousness from his account and he put it into your account. This is exactly what Paul the Apostle writes about in Romans chapter 4 when he talks about Abraham, the father of the faith, who God imputed or imparted righteousness to his account when he trusted in God. That's all the way back in the very first book of the Bible. So this is the consistent teaching of the scriptures from the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, all the way through the very end of the scriptures, that Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him as righteousness. So if you have trusted in Jesus Christ and in his finished work on the cross, in your place, him taking your sin upon himself and taking the penalty and punishment for your sin upon himself there on the cross. If you've trusted in his finished work on the cross, then God has accounted to you, he's transferred to your account righteousness. By grace, through faith, you are saved. That's what the New Testament book of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So by grace, through faith, you are saved. Past tense. You are positionally righteous before God. As God sees you, if you've trusted in Jesus, he sees you clothed in Christ's righteousness. And because of his grace and the riches of his love, he has promised that you and I who have trusted in him, we will be with him in his presence for eternity. He has promised to bring us into his presence and to transform these lowly bodies, these mortal and corrupt bodies, that they will be conformed to his glorious body. And at that point, we will be saved from the presence of sin in eternity when we are, what the scriptures speaks about, when we are glorified. So we have been justified, saved from the penalty and the punishment of sin. We shall be glorified. We, we have been justified, saved from the penalty and the, and the punishment of sin. We shall be glorified, saved from the presence of sin. So we are saved, past tense, from the penalty and punishment of sin. We shall be saved in the future from the presence of sin. But in the gap, in between justification and glorification, this is what we have been talking about for the last several weeks. What is happening in that period of time? Because maybe it's a long period of time. Maybe you trusted in Christ Jesus when you were a child or when you were a young man or a young woman, and now a lot of time has gone by. You're still not in the presence of the Lord glorified. So what's happening in this intervening time between the time that you're justified and the time that you are glorified? So between the gap in justification and glorification, we are at this moment right now being saved. That's what the scriptures talk about. We are being saved from sin's power. And we are being saved through sin's power through using this theological word through sanctification. So we have justification and glorification and this period in between the two is sanctification. So here we are in the gap. And in this period where we are working out our own salvation, God is working in us to will and to do his good pleasure. Those, come from my, those words come from my two favorite verses in the scriptures. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, there the apostle Paul says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for 
It is God who works in you to will and to do his good pleasure. That's what's happening right now in this gap. And it is in this period that we are empowered by the enabling power of the Holy Spirit to develop the disciplines of a disciple. That's why I have called this series that we've been going through for the last many weeks, the disciplines of a disciple. So God is enabling and empowering us by his Holy Spirit so that we can discipline ourselves as obedient followers of Jesus Christ, to grow in Christ likeness, to be sanctified. And he has enabled and equipped us by his Holy Spirit. He's given us equipment or tools that God desires that we would use to be able to grow in maturity, that we would grow to become more like Jesus. And that is really God's design for you if you are a Christian. He wants to make you more and more into the likeness of his children. He adopted you into his family at justification. You can read the New Testament book of Ephesians chapter one talks about how because of what Jesus did on the cross on our behalf, our trust in him, we have been forgiven, we have been adopted, we have been redeemed, we have been accepted into his body. We are his kids, we're his children, the children of God, but he wants to make us more and more into the likeness of his kids, to impart his nature to us so that we would become fruitful in him. And that this fruit that we have from God in our lives, that it might be shown forth to the world, that other people in the world would see this good and acceptable and perfect work of God in our lives in the world, that we might be a witness of God's grace, a witness of God's mercy, that people would see that in you, that you are gracious, that you're merciful. They would see God's love in you. They'd see God's peace in you. I talked a lot about this in our message last time, if you were here with us, that one of the things that has been the outcome, if you will, of the last 19 months of chaos in the world through um, COVID, but also politics and economy and all the sort of stuff that's been going on in the world, one of the, one of the outcomes of that is a lot of anxiety. But for the person who's trusted in Christ, one of the one of the witnesses to the world that they have God dwelling in them by the Holy Spirit, his empowering, his, enable, his enabling, his peace and rest. So God wants me to be a witness to this world with God's grace and his mercy and his love and his peace and his joy and his kindness and his patience and his goodness and his faithfulness and his self-control being worked out in my life. And that these things would increasingly be abundant in my life so other people would see it. So... Over the last two weeks, we have been talking about what some of the tools are that God has given to me and to you so that we would be able to be more likely in producing fruit or growing to maturity. We already know that we have the Holy Spirit who is our helper. He's the one who enables us and empowers us to be able to do what is pleasing to God. So God's working in us by his Holy Spirit to will and to do those things that are pleasing to him. But he also gives us equipment or tools so that we can work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So in the last three messages of this six week series, we're looking at three of these tools. We talked about two of them in the last couple of weeks. Um, the, the things that God has given to us so that we can grow in Christ-likeness. So the two things that God has given to us that, as I said, are essential for our sanctification are, are very simple things. Two things that make it more likely that we will be transformed from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord, as I believe Paul writes in one of his letters to the Corinthians, that from glory to glory we are being transformed by the Spirit of the Lord more into the likeness of God's children. So he's given us two tools that we've talked about so far. First tool that God has equipped us with is the Word of God. 
The word of God is living and powerful, says Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The word of God works effectively in our lives to bring about sanctification. Jesus, on the night that he would be betrayed, he prayed to the Father in John 17, verse 17, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. It is useful, the word of God, in our lives for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. So God has given us his word so that we would use it. And because God's word is so essential and so effective, that is really one of the big reasons why we at Cross Connection Church, we preach and teach it every single week. That's why we value it so very highly here at this church. And we hope that you will also begin to value God's word, that you make it a regular part of your day, every single day, spending some time listening to God's word, reading God's word, meditating upon God's word, maybe even memorizing God's word. I know a lot of people will tell me that they don't have a very good memory, but I think that if you take some time to read through even just one verse and think about it regularly every, every single day, you will begin to hide God's word in your heart and it will begin to do a work in you and you'll, you'll keep it coming to mind whenever you need to think upon God's word. So uh, be listening to God's word, reading God's word, studying God's word, meditating upon God's word, memorizing God's word. And as you do, God is going to use his word in your life to bring about this sanctifying work. So we have the helper, the Holy Spirit, who enables and empowers us to be able to walk in ways that are pleasing to God. And God has given us tools, one of them being the word of God, that as we work out our own salvation, studying to show ourselves approved unto God as workmen, rightly dividing the word of truth, God will bring about a, a transformation in us. That, that, that word, I believe it's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, study to show yourself approved unto God as a workman that's not ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In that very same passage, the Apostle Paul talks about how that is exercising yourself towards godliness. So in this workout routine, exercise yourself towards godliness by using this first tool, the Word of God. But the second tool that God has given to us for our sanctification, which we looked at in our message last time, the second tool is prayer. And by prayer, we grow closer to God. Through prayer, we bring God our praise and our thanksgiving. We bring God our petitions, our supplications, where we come to him and we ask for him to take care of the things that we need and sometimes even to give us the things that we want. We come to God and we confess our sins. And when we confess our sins, we receive his forgiveness. John said in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So we come to God with with praise and thanksgiving. We come to God with petitions and supplications. We come to God with confession and we receive his forgiveness. Prayer invites God's presence. And it not only invites God's presence, I talked about last time that it invites God's peace. Paul in Philippians 4 verse 6, he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests, requests be made known to God and the outcome, the result is going to be his peace will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So prayer invites God's peace in our life and prayer invites God's power into our lives. One great man, I believe it was D.L. Moody said, where prayer is focused, power falls. So when you begin to focus your prayers in your own life, in the lives of other people through another form of prayer called intercession, you begin to see God move in a powerful way. 
And I would add to all these things. If you today are lacking in wisdom, the scriptures say in James chapter one, if anyone lacks in wisdom, let them ask of God. God is the one who gives us wisdom. And when we come to him for prayer, for wisdom, and I've had a lot of conversations with people in recent weeks about trying to make decisions about what they should do in various things with work, what they should do with things with school or with moving or whatever it may be. And they come and they're seeking wisdom. It's a good thing to seek wisdom from wise people. Hopefully, hopefully I'm a wise person. If I am, it's only because I take heed to the word of God. But if you are lacking in wisdom, ask of God and he will answer that. If you're lacking in rest, ask God. If you are facing temptation or trials, come to God in prayer. Prayer should be, hopefully, it should increasingly be my first inclination when I have situations that arise, difficulties, trials, temptations, hardship, whatever it may be. Prayer should be my first inclination. I would say that those who are predisposed to prayer, they experience God's peace to a greater degree than those who are not. So if prayer is your first turn, when you find yourself confronted by difficulties and challenges, you will find those things are resolved much faster than if you do not pray. So the word of God and prayer are essential for our sanctification. Incidentally, or interestingly, these are also identified by the Apostle Paul, the word of God and prayer. They are identified as offensive weapons in the Christian's armory, if you will. In Ephesians chapter six, Uh, If you have a Bible open, you can see this for yourself. In Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul is talking about the armor that Christians have in the spiritual battle. We do not not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We're in a spiritual battle. And Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. He says, Above all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation. And here it is, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And here in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. The word of God and prayer are weapons in our warfare against the world, the flesh, and the devil. The Bible says that we have three foes that we are battling in this life, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And if you are going to engage the world, the flesh, and the devil, then the word of God and prayer are weapons in our warfare against the world, the flesh, and the devil. So we have talked about these two tools that we have been equipped with or given to bring about transformation or to make it more likely that we would grow in maturity as followers of Jesus, become disciplined disciples. Today, we are going to talk about our third and final tool that God has given to us. He's given us the Holy Spirit to enable and empower us, and he's given us some tools to help us grow in our Christ-likeness. Now, I want to make it clear before I talk about this final tool that we're going to talk about, that there are not only three tools, there are many other things that God has given to us to equip us so that we would be able to grow more in Christ's likeness. He has given us everything that we need to live this life in a godly manner. This is what Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. I mentioned this last week. It says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, according to God's divine power, God has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So everything that we need to live this life in a godly manner. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Remember, God wants to make us more like him. He wants to impart his nature to us. How does he do this? 
by the work of the Holy Spirit, by the work of his word, through prayer, and, and some other tools as well that God has given to us. So that through these things, we may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So there, there are other tools by which we are equipped and sanctified other than the word of God and prayer. We could talk about fasting. We could talk about service or Sabbath. Sabbath is a tool that God has given to us, taking time for rest or silence or solitude or sacrifice or simplicity. We could talk about worship. There are many other things that are sometimes referred to as spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines. And I'm sure in the future, we will talk about some of them a little bit more. But in this series, we're really just focusing on, on three tools that God has given to us. The word of God, prayer, and then we have one final tool that we're going to focus in on in this series, the disciplines of a disciple. And I believe that it incorporates a number of these things. When we talk about Sabbath, or we talk about service, or we talk about um, sacrifice, we talk about worship, we talk about simplicity, all these sorts of things, they, they kind of come into this third and final tool that we're going to be talking about in the, the close of this series. So without making a ton of fanfare about it, I'm simply gonna tell you what this third and final tool is. The church is crucial in our formation as disciples. The church is crucial in our formation as disciples. This is key. I believe that we are each saved, justified, individually, when we put our trust in Christ Jesus, we confess him as Lord. Each one of us individually need to come to a place where we acknowledge that we have fallen short of God's glory. We acknowledge that we have sinned and that the wages of sin is death, that we come to the personal and individual recognition that Jesus died for us, for our sin, and that we need to put our trust in him. So this is very key. We are each individually saved or justified when we put our trust in Jesus Christ and we confess him as Lord. But I would say that we are being saved or sanctified in many ways as a body. We are being sanctified as a group, corporately, as the church of Christ, in his church, in his body. So we're saved individually as we trust in Jesus, but God is doing a work of sanctification in us as we are gathered together as the body. Uh, you know, uh, the man who's considered the founder of Methodism, I, don't, I shouldn't say considered the founder, he is the founder of Methodism, the great theologian John Wesley. He has been said, he's the one who said this quote, that there is no such thing as a solitary Christian. There's no such thing as a solitary Christian. Though you can develop the discipline of solitude as a Christian, I don't think that you can survive or you especially cannot fully thrive as a Christian in solitary confinement. We need one another. In, as a body, joined together as uh, a family, as the church, to be able to truly grow in Christ-likeness. We were created by God, as we say here at Cross Connection Church, to live life in connection with God and with one another. So God created us to be connected with him and with one another. And in so many ways, that happens within the body of Christ, within the church. The Apostle Paul, he wrote again in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2, and he writes this to the church that was in the city of Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The household of God, there's another word for the church. So you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone 
in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So we are saved by Jesus Christ. And when we are saved by Jesus Christ, we are joined together as his body. We are members of the household of God and we are being built again together for our growth unto what he ultimately desires that we would be. And if we are to grow into what God desires that we would be in Christ, then we need the fellowship of the body. We need the body of Christ, the church. I think the gathering together of the people of God is essential for our sanctification and church is just an old word, an ancient word that means the gathering or the assembly or the, the congregation. The word that is translated church in the New Testament is the Greek word ekklesia. And it is a word that was used in Koine Greek or Greek culture just speaking about a gathering together or a congregation of people. It's, it's not a place. The church is not just a, it's not a building. I, I was about to say not just a building, but it's not a building. This is just the gathering place of a people who are the church. So it's not a place, it's not a building, it's not an organization, it's not a business, it's not some, you know, 501c3 corporation. The church is the gathering of the people of God. It is the congregation of the people of God. And why does the congregation or the gathering of the people of God come together? Why do they come together? Well, they come together for worship. They come together for fellowship. Fellowship is communing with one another in relationship, sharing with one another, caring for one another. All those things come under that, that word fellowship. The church gathers together for evangelism. It gathers together for service or outreach or mission. It gathers together for encouragement. It gathers together for study or even recreation, just to spend time with one another and to enjoy one another's company. We ultimately gather together, though, to be united with Christ and to grow in him. Again, writing to the church in Ephesus, Paul writes this to the church in Ephesians chapter 4. And he says this, And he, Jesus, he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why are there church leaders within a church, within this entity of the church? He gave them for, verse 12, the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up or the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come to the unity of faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So according to Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, God in Christ Jesus has given or gifted the church with church leaders. And he has given the church, these church leaders, for the corporate equipping and edifying of the body of Christ until we all together are brought to maturity, until we all together are brought to unity, until we all together become more like Jesus. And not only that we are more like Jesus, but that we are a better representation of him in this world. And I bring all these things up because if you were with us when we started this Disciplines of a Disciple series about eight weeks ago, you may remember that I said a big part of the reason why we're doing this series is that I feel when I look at the, the state of the church, you know, however year the president gives a state of a union address, when I give the state of the church address, the church in the West in 2021, in, you know, the fall of 2021, after 19 months of COVID shutdowns and chaos in the world through politics and economics and all kinds of crazy things that are going on, 
after 19 months of all of this in our culture, I think one of the things that that has done within the church is it is brought to the surface that we need to become more like Jesus. It has brought our flesh to the surface. It has brought our disunity to the surface. It has brought the fact that we are divided from one another to the surface. It has brought that we are not the best representation of him in this world to the surface. So I felt as a pastor, as a teacher, this passage says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, that Jesus gave himself some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. At the very least, I fall into that category. Whether or not I fall into the others, that's for somebody else to decide. But I'm a pastor teacher, and God has called me to equip the church, the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up the body of Christ, until we come to maturity through unity, and we are a better representation of Jesus in this world. So that's why we've been going through this series, that we can grow in Christ's likeness. So Jesus had given all these people to the church to bring about this growth. And that's why we need to be a part of the church, that we would grow in Christ's likeness. Why should you go to church? Why should you be a part of the church? Well, for worship and fellowship and encouragement and all the other things that we do when we gather together as a church. But among all of those reasons, and perhaps at the very top of the list of reasons, is so that we would be transformed and sanctified, that we would grow in maturity, that we would grow in unity, that we'd grow in Christ-likeness and be a better representation of the body of Christ in this world. So how does God transform and sanctify us who believe in him, who have been justified, who have the hope of being glorified, how does God transform and sanctify us in this gap within the body of Christ, within the church? It is within the church that we encourage one another, we challenge one another, we exhort one another to live and grow as followers of Christ. So when we gather together, one of the ways that we grow in Christ-likeness is as we encourage, challenge, exhort one another to live as followers of Jesus. The author of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, he said it like this in Hebrews chapter 10 in verse 24. And let us Christians consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. So notice what the author of the book of Hebrews says in that passage. He says that we need to consider one another. We need to be considerate of one another. And as we are considerate of one another, as we're gathered together, assembling together, verse 25 says we don't forsake the assembling together of ourselves, but as we assemble together as the church, the ecclesia, the congregation, we need to be considerate of one another, stirring each other up, challenging, exhorting one another to love and to good deeds. To Timothy, the Apostle Paul wrote these words. Timothy was a young pastor, and the Apostle Paul is trying to equip and encourage a young pastor, and he writes this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. He says, flee youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those. If you have a Bible, you might want to circle those words, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And I would suggest that one of the implications of this verse is that we need to be with those congregating, assembled together with those people who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Those are Christians. And when we are with those who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart, we're gathered together as his church, as his body. And then it's in that context that we are able to flee youthful lusts and we're able to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. We're joined together as the church. So 
it is within the church as we gather together that we are challenging, exhorting one another to love and good deeds, to stir one another up to love and good deeds. We are walking alongside with one another as we are fleeing after those things that we've repented of, as we are pursuing Christ-likeness, we're pursuing the fruit of the Spirit. It is within the church as we gather together as the people of God that we love one another, that we serve one another, that we comfort one another, that we pray for one another, that we speak truth to one another, we encourage one another, we build one another up, we bear one another's burdens, we honor one another, we are devoted to one another. There are dozens of passages in the New Testament that are called one another passages, passages that explicitly say these words that I just threw out there, pray for one another, comfort one another, serve one another, the most repeated one is love one another. We see that constantly. Build one another up. Stir one another up. There are tons of these one another passages in the scriptures. And those one another passages, where do those things happen? They happen in the context of the gathering of the people of God. That's called the church. So we grow as individuals and as a church as we work out the one another's of scripture. This is what we are called to be doing when we gather together as the people of God, as we are praying together using one of the tools of sanctification, as we're going through the scriptures together using another one of the tools of sanctification. We encourage one another, serve one another, love one another, pray for one another, comfort one another, stir one another up to love and good deeds. So we grow as individuals and as the church as we work out the one another's of scripture. So if you desire to grow in Christ's likeness, which is the desire of a Christian. It's one of the desires that God has given you as you have put your trust in him. But if you desire to grow in Christ-likeness and to grow in maturity as a disciple, then you must, I believe, be committed to a local church. You must be gathering together regularly with the body of Christ. You cannot be a solitary Christian. Just as John Wesley said, there is no such thing as a solitary Christian. We must be in fellowship with one another within the body of a local church. And it is there in that context that we begin to grow. Now, when I say that if you want to grow in Christ-likeness and grow in maturity as a disciple, you have to be committed to a local church within a gathering of Christians, the, the question that arises is, what does it look like to be committed to a local church? And I could honestly do an entire series on that question alone. What does it look like to be committed to a local church? Because that question has so many different paths that you could go down. So that question alone might be a series someday. But in the time that I have remaining today, I want to break it down. I want to break it down to seven things. Seven things or seven ways that you can see if you are living life in connection with God, his church, and the world. Now, you may or may not know this. You probably do because hopefully you're connected to Cross Connection Church. Our mission or our vision here at Cross Connection Church is life in connection with God, one another, and the world through Jesus. So how can you tell if you are living life in connection with God, his church, and the world through Jesus Christ? Seven steps to a life in connection. And this is how you can be committed to this church or, or any church, but you need to be connected and committed to a church so that you will begin to grow in Christ-likeness because the church is this third tool for our sanctification. So first step of seven in how you 
grow in a life in connection or steps to living life in connection. First step, know the vision. What do I mean by that? The first step of knowing the vision is that you know what your church, the church that you are, shall we say, a member of. We don't have formal membership here at Cross Connection Church, um, but we have people who have plugged in and they are part of this body. So how can you live life in connection with God, with his church, and grow in Christ-likeness, the first step is to know the vision. You need to know what your church is all about. You need to know what their biblical purpose, mission, and vision, and values are. You need to recognize that they are on a biblical purpose, mission, and vision, and values. There are some churches that are committed to things that are, have nothing to do with the Bible. And so you want to make sure that you know what your church is all about, and you know that they are a church that has a purpose that is founded in the Bible, and they are fulfilling the mission of the Bible, and they are aligned with the values of Scripture. You need to know that the church that you're a part of, that it, it teaches and it adheres to the Scriptures, the principles of Scripture. You need to know that the church that you're a part of has qualified elders, biblically qualified elders who are committed to a biblical theology. So I said the first of seven steps in and living life in connection with God and his church is to know the vision. And all of those things come under it. You need to know that they have biblically qualified leaders who are committed to a biblical theology. They're teaching the scriptures. They're committed to the purpose of the church as outlined in the scriptures. They're fulfilling the mission of the church as outlined in the scriptures. So you need to know the vision of your, of your church. Second thing, you need to worship together with the church. You need to regularly gather with the people of God to honor God in worship. And we worship God here at Cross Connection through song. We worship God through the scriptures. We worship God through prayer. We worship God through communion. So there's a lot of different ways that we gather for worship. But here at Cross Connection, we have regular weekly worship gatherings. And because of everything that's been happening in the last 19 months, we have kind of like a digital gathering online through what we're doing through YouTube. It's not really the same. Uh, I don't think it's perfectly ideal, but if you're not able to gather together um, for worship, coming into a room like we do here on Sunday morning, then this might be at least a beginning step to move in that direction. So first thing is that you need to know the vision of the church and you need to know what that church is all about and that they are a church that is built upon the scriptures, building their lives upon the scriptures. Second, you worship with that group of people on a regular basis, worship through song, through the scriptures, through prayer, through communion, through giving. Third, the third of seven steps is that you need to connect with community. You are committed, when you're connecting with community, you are committed to joining with the people of God outside of the weekly worship gathering. You're doing that in small groups. Now, here at Cross Connection Church, we do that in our connect groups. And if you just go to our website, lifeinconnection.com groups, you're going to find some more information about our connect groups. But that's not the only way that we connect with community within the body of Christ. We worship together corporately on a Sunday morning, and then we get together throughout the week as the family of God, the people of God. We do this as a group, I have a connect group that I'm a part of, and my parents, they have a connect group that they're a part of. The other pastors here at the church, they have a connect group they're a part of. Our elders have connect groups. Many of the people who go to this church have a group that they connect with regularly, their connect group. But they don't only gather with their connect group on the regular meetings and homes, you know, a couple times a month. They also gather with their church family. They connect with community uh, many times throughout the week or the month. I do that with those people who are a part of this church who are a part of my church family on a regular basis. So 
we gather corporately together on Sundays, but then we get together at other times. And sometimes that could be getting together with a group of people for prayer. Maybe like we have a prayer group that gets together on Wednesdays, or you get together with someone a couple Mondays or, you know, a couple uh, mornings a week. You gather together for prayer. Or maybe you get together with other brothers or sisters within the church to go on a hike or to go on a mountain bike ride. Or it could be going out to dinner with some people or having people over to your home for dinner. You are connecting with community within the church when you join together with other Christians outside of the regular worship gatherings on Sunday morning. So first step in being committed to a church, you know the vision, you know what the church is all about. Second step, you worship regularly together with the body of Christ. You get together corporately to worship God through song, through the scriptures, through sacrificial giving, through service, all these different ways. Third, connect with community. Fourth, and this has some subcategories, which are the remaining parts of this. Number four, you love one another. Love one another. I already listed off the one another's of the New Testament, and there are more than 50 of them in the New Testament. And many times it's repeated, love one another. But there's also care for one another, pray for one another, comfort one another, encourage one another, exhort one another, counsel one another, all these one another's in the scripture. We love one another when we are working out the one another's of the New Testament. And we are doing unto others as we would desire that they would do for us. But one of the ways that we express this love one another is in the last three parts of this being committed to a church. So first is you know the church, you know the vision. You worship together corporately with the church. You are committed to com community. And then you love one another. How do you love one another? Through, number five, through service. And here at Cross Connection, we say you should join a service team. You will never grow faster as a disciple of Jesus than when you are connected to a team serving him. Ask anyone who has served or is serving here at the church, on the parking team, on the ushers or the greeters team, in the children's ministry, in the youth ministry, in our tech team, on our worship team, in the, you know, the video team, out here in the patio, you know, whatever it may be, there's so many different ways that you can be serving here on a team. So when you begin to serve, you never grow faster than when you are serving with other Christians. So you love one another, and one of the ways that you love one another is, number five, through service. The next way that you love one another, number six, is through outreach. So if service is serving those who are within the church, outreach is serving those who are outside of the church. It's meeting the needs of the community outside the church. And you know, sometimes we refer to this as missions or outreach. It's missions, especially when you are leaving your home community and going to a foreign community somewhere else. Uh, but outreach is the way that we meet the needs of our community and we connect with the world. At our church, we say that our vision is life in connection with God, one another, and the world. So how do we connect with the world? Well, the way that we connect with the world is as a church, we meet the needs of our community through outreach. And some of the things that we do as a church here for outreach, we're involved with a camp that serves abused and neglected kids. We're involved in cleaning up the street that our church is on. Seven Oaks Road is a, uh, we clean up the, the street there once a month. We're involved in helping out with an outreach in the community called Interfaith or with uh, Children's Hospital down in San Diego. So there's a lot of different ways that we are serving through outreach and we're loving our community. So we love one another through service. We love one another through outreach. And then finally, we love one another. And I put this one last on purpose because 
number one, it's important, but number two, um, it's the one that people sometimes have a hard time with. But I'm going to throw it out there as well. One of the ways that you show that you are committed to a church, you know the vision, you know what the church is all about, you worship with that church regularly, you're connected to community, you love one another through service, through outreach, and through giving generously, or what we might call sacrifice. You give generously. Sacrifice is giving of what you have to meet the needs of others. And one of the ways that we do this as a church is that we give every single week. And Pastor Mark has a saying. I'm not sure that he's the one who came up with this saying, but uh, he was the first person that I ever heard say it. He said, the last thing to get saved is a person's wallet. And that might bother somebody saying that, but there's some truth to it. We have such a tight grip on our possessions. And this may not only be money. This might be your car. It might be your house. You might think of your kids as your possession. We have such a tight grip on our possessions that sometimes we make idols out of the things that we have, our possessions. And we hold on to those things tightly and we are committed to those things and we are devoted to those things. When in reality, God needs to be the thing that we are committed to, devoted to, the one that we are committed to and devoted to. You cannot serve two masters, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. You will love one and hate the other. You cannot serve God and money is what Jesus said. And so one of the ways that we show our devotion to God and to his church is by giving generously. And there's a, lot, there's a whole topic on this, on tithing and offerings and all kinds of different things. I'm not going to get into all of that today. I'm simply going to say this. You can gauge whether or not you are committed to a local church in these seven areas. Do you know what the church is all about? You know who the leaders are. You know that they have qualified leaders who have a biblical theology and they teach the scriptures and the church is fulfilling a biblical purpose. So you know the church. You worship with those believers regularly, on a regular basis. You are connected to community within that church. So not just gathering on a Sunday morning and you're here for 40 minutes and then boom, you're out the door. So you're connected to community. You are loving one another through service, through outreach and through giving generously. These are seven ways that you can know whether or not you are connected to the body of Christ, to the church. Now, to close all this up, you may ask, well, is there a passage of scripture that, that really shows an example of this? A, a gathering of people who were worshiping together, they were connected to one another, they're loving one another, they're serving one another, they're outreaching, they're giving generously. And the answer to that question is yes. It's found in Acts chapter 2. So if you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 42, we read this. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they continued steadfastly. Who was it who continued steadfastly? A, a gathering of more than 3,000 new believers who had just put their trust and faith in Jesus. So the church continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the, the apostles' teaching, in fellowship, that's communing with one another, caring for one another, sharing with one another, taking care of one another. They continued in doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread. This is both hospitality and communion. We'll talk about communion another time. The breaking of bread and in prayers. And the result is this, verse 43. Then fear or reverence came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed, all the Christians, were together and they had all things in common. They were sharing for one another, sharing with one another. And they sold their possessions and goods and they divided them among all as everyone had a need. They were giving generously to one another. So continuing daily with one accord, gathered together corporately in the temple, 
And then breaking bread, that's hospitality, from house to house, that's con connected to community. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So this is the perfect biblical example of exactly what I am talking about here in this passage. God saved you as you trusted in him, just like those 3,000 people or maybe even more than 3,000 people there in Acts chapter 2 who trusted in Jesus after the gospel was preached to them. They were justified. They were saved. You trusted in Jesus after you um, heard the gospel. You were justified. You have been saved from the penalty and punishment of sin, and you have the hope of being with God for eternity and being glorified. But now in the gap, you're being sanctified, and God has given us the tool of his word to bring about transformation and sanctification. He's given us the tool of prayer to bring about transformation and sanctification, and he has given us the gift of being a part of the church, which is a tool for sanctification. And we need to know that the church we're a part of, they, they have a biblical theology, they study the scriptures, they have qualified leaders, you need to re worship regularly with them. They gathered daily as one accord within the temple corporately, and they were connected to community from house to house. They gathered together one another with one another. They were hospitable to one another, cared for one another, and they loved one another by serving, by outreaching to the community, and by giving generously. All of these things, if you commit to being a part of the church and connecting with the church, you will see God bring about great growth in your life. It'll be evident to you. It'll be evident to others. You will see the fruit of the Spirit begin to be increasing in your life. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, self-control, all of these things will grow in your life unto an overflow to other people. So these are the disciplines of a disciple. First, you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you receive salvation, and you are a disciple. And then the Holy Spirit is in you. The Holy Spirit empowers and enables you to walk in a way that is pleasing to God. And God gives you tools, which the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to use to be able to grow in Christlikeness, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that God is working in you to will and to do His good pleasure. And those tools are the Word of God and prayer and the church. And it is my hope that we as a gathering of believers here at Cross Connection Church would continue to grow in Christlikeness in a way that is honoring to God. So Father, I pray for anyone who's listening to this message, for the church that will be gathered here on Sunday morning, I pray God that you would continue a work of transformation and sanctification in us to make us more like you. And I pray that here in North San Diego County, your church at Cross Connection would be an example it would be a light shining in a dark place, a city set on a hill that no, cannot be hid, that people would see in the people who call this church their home church, they would see in them your fruit, the evidence of your spirit dwelling in us. God, help us to be a people who have love and joy and peace to overflowing, long-suffering and patience and kindness and self-control and faithfulness. Lord, that these would be the hallmarks of your people who are a part of Cross Connection Church. Lord, make this what our character is like. Lord, manifest your glory through us, your church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.